Well, good morning again. And if you would, please turn with me to Genesis chapter 16 in your Bibles. Genesis chapter 16. Uh, So last time I was with you all, we talked about Genesis chapter 12. And just to give a brief recap, uh, God created the whole world and everything was great. And then Adam and Eve sinned and everything was bad. And everything spiraled downward until God basically had to press reset on the whole world. So God pressed reset, and the only family that was left was Noah and his family. And then things continued to get worse until God uh, picked a family for himself. And this was Abram's family. Abram is also known as Abraham, and Sarai is also known as Sarah. So God told them to leave their hometown and walk, and he would tell them when to stop. And so they keep walking. They walk hundreds of miles, and they get to what we know as the promised land. And God gave them big promises. He said, I will give you an offspring. Uh, I will make you numerous. You will possess this land. God's like, I will bless you and I will be with you. And this is a audacious promise because Abram and Sarai are both really old. And uh, Sarai has never had children. Her, Her womb was barren. And God is making this promise to them. And they are in a land with a lot of daunting enemies. So they're like, okay, we're, we're, we're gonna trust you. And so several chapters later, it's been about 10 years they've been in the promised land, and now we see they're going to try and help God out. When does that ever work? Uh, and so we see here um, that they try and help God out to fulfill his promises, and things go pretty badly. But we will see that God sees and God listens. All right, Genesis chapter 16. Again, uh, Genesis is the first book of the Bible, so just open up your front cover and flip a few pages and you should be there. Genesis chapter 16, and it, and, and, and it may be up on the screen. All right, verse one. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said to Abram, behold now, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. So after Abram had lived 10 years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. And he went into Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on contempt, with contempt on her mistress. And Sarai said to Abram, May the wrong done to me be on you. I gave my servant to your embrace, And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. But Abram said to Sarai, Behold, your servant is in your power. Do to her as you please. Then Sarai dealt harshly with her, and she fled from her. The angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, the spring on the way to shore. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? She said, I'm fleeing from my mistress, Sarai. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her. The angel of the Lord also said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, behold, you are pregnant and shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael because the Lord has listened to your affliction. He shall be a wild donkey of a man, his hand against everyone, and everyone's hand against him. 
and he shall dwell over against all his kinsmen. So she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, You are a God of seeing. For she said, Truly here I have seen him who looks after me. Therefore the well was called Be'er Lahai Roi. It lies between Kadesh and Bered. And Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram called the name of his son, whom Hagar bore, Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abraham. This is the word of the Lord. Would you all pray with me? Lord Jesus, I need your power. Lord, would you fill me with your spirit that I might proclaim your excellencies? Lord, would you give me the strength and the ability to cherish your word and to explain it? That your people might understand who you are in the ways of life. God, I pray that you would open the hearts of your hearers, that they might also believe your word and cherish your word. And Lord, I pray they wouldn't just be good hearers of your word, but they would be good doers of your word. Lord, I pray that this moment wouldn't just be something that's merely routine, something that we just do because it's Sunday. But Lord, I pray that in this moment, we would expect a life-changing word from you. Holy Spirit, would you comfort those who are afflicted? And Lord, those who are comfortable, would you make them uncomfortable? Lord, would you press us deeper into holiness and righteousness? Lord, I also pray that you would uh, invite us more deep into joy, to enjoy you and to enjoy each other. Lord, we love you. Amen. All right, so every once in a while, my wife and I will pick up a marriage book and work through it slowly. And one of the books we have just finished working through is called The Seven Principles of Making Marriage Work by John Gottman. So he, he basically is kind of like a scientist, and he observes couples in what he calls the love, love lab, and he observes their arguments and how they talk to each other, and he tries to come up with different habits and, and things that give couples longevity in their marriage. And so he says this. Uh, he, he talks about a powerful way to show your spouse love. He says this, I can't emphasize enough how beneficial it will be to your relationship to give your partner the gift of being there when he or she is upset. After years of studying couples in the lab and working with them directly, it has become clear to me that happy couples live by the credo when you are in pain, the world stops and I listen. When you are in pain, the world stops and I listen. And I don't know about y'all, but isn't it so easy in our marriages and maybe our friendships or our, our sibling relationships, parent relationships, that when someone is in pain, the world does not stop and I don't have time for it? Or the world does not stop and I'm in pain too, so when are you going to listen to me? <laughs> right? But God uh, uh, is so much different than that. If I could remix it, uh, the Bible is clear that God, in his relationship with you, lives by the credo, when you are in pain, the world stops and I listen. And that's the main point of our time together. If you don't get anything else from this sermon, that's the main point. You got it. When you are in pain, the world stops and God listens. North African church father Augustine of Hippo, he says this in his book, Confessions. 
which is a good book to read uh, devotionally. Maybe I, when I read it, I read like a page a night. It took me a couple years to get through it, but it's really good. And this is one of my favorite quotes in, in, in the book. For your good, he, he, the, the book is just like a giant prayer, and he's talking to God. For your goodness is almighty, you take good care of each of us as if you had no others in your care. And you look after all as you look after each. I think that's really powerful. He's basically saying, God, even though he has 7 billion, in the, 7 billion people in the world to look after, he looks after you as if there was no one else. And he looks after everyone with the care and intentionality of an individual. I think that is powerful. But aren't we tempted to believe the opposite? Aren't we tempted to believe that God really doesn't love us? That when we're in pain, the world stops and die, the world does not stop and God doesn't care? And maybe in this season of your life, you're really going through a lot of stress, maybe a lot of fear. Maybe you feel like God is calling you to things that are really scary and you don't know how to navigate it. Maybe you're going through deep suffering and pain and, 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 and turmoil, maybe outwardly or inwardly, and you're like, where is God? I'm crying out, and I feel like I have my back against the wall, and does God really see me? Does God really hear me? Sometimes our pain leads us to believe that God has forgotten about us. But from this historical narrative about Hagar, I want to look at several things that God does. We see that Hagar has her back against the wall, and God sees her. God listens to her. And I want to look at several things that God does when he listens. Several things that God does when he listens. All right, so I have four points for the quick points, so don't, don't worry. <laughs> but uh, the first point is when God listens, he gives introspection. When God listens, he gives introspection. So remember Abram and Sarai, like I said, they went from their hometown, they're in their promised land. They end up uh, going through different kind of journeys and different scary situations, and now they end up here, and they're wondering after 10 years, is God really going to give us a son? He told us he would, and I'm, I'm assuming they have been trying, but they're wondering, is God going to give us a son? So Sarai comes up with an idea. She says, you know what? Take Hagar, my maidservant, and take her as your wife, and she will have a child on behalf of me. And so since this was common day practice back then to have uh, someone else in the household function kind of as uh, a wife and a surrogate mother, I know like the Bible, the ancient Near East is very weird times for, for our 21st century years. But Abram agrees, and Hagar becomes one of the wives of the household. Uh, and essentially, you know, you, you all might have heard this term in one of your, you know, favorite Lord of the Rings books or something like that. But Hagar kind of becomes a concubine. She becomes a wife, but, but not exactly on the same status as Sarai. And so now Hagar gets pregnant, and she starts to think that she is better than Sarai. Essentially, she starts to believe that the situation is reverse. And so uh, Hagar stops listening to Sarai, and I can only imagine what's happening up in, in this household. Whenever I read this text, I often think, you know, it's the real housewives of Palestine, you know, or keeping up with the, with the, with, 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 with the uh, Hebrews. But here, the household is a mess. And so now Sarai gets upset. Sar Sarai starts to treat Hagar harshly, basically starts to abuse her as, as a servant. And so Sarai goes to Abram, and Abram and Sarai get into an argument, I imagine. And basically, Abram says, look, she's your servant, so do with her as you please. Uh, and, 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 and this is where the, the, the harsh treatment comes from. And eventually, Hagar runs away. 
She's like, I can't do this anymore. And so Hagar is in the wilderness pregnant by herself in danger of uh, thirst and starvation, in danger of wild animals, in danger of raiders, in danger of just all different kinds of things. But God meets her in her pain. She is staring death in the face, and here God shows up. And so the angel asks her, God sends an angel, and the angel asks her, where have you come from, and where are you going? Now, I love it when God asks questions like this. He's been asking these kind of questions from Genesis chapter 3. But when God asks, where are you coming from and where are you going, it's not because he doesn't know. It's because he wants you to know where you are coming from and where you are going. You see, I think whenever God asks these questions, he wants us to open our eyes and be aware of what's happening. He kind of gives Hagar a moment of introspection. And Hagar gives a matter-of-fact answer, I'm running away from Sarai. But God was helping her actually be aware of what was going on inside of herself and what was going on around her. And maybe we can relate. Maybe we've been in a situation where uh, everything around us is just falling apart. That the people that uh, we, 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 we live with, or maybe the people in, in church, or maybe the people we work with, we felt like they've treated us unfairly, or maybe we feel like, you know what, this person it really doesn't deserve my respect anymore, or whatever it could be. Basically, the situation, and you look around, and there is sin everywhere. Everything has fallen apart, and you have also played an active role in it, and you have found yourself with your back against the wall. You have found yourself in a desperate situation. And like Hagar, God comes to us, and he wants to ask us, where have you come from, and where are you going? And family, that's the question I want to ask you this morning. Where have you come from, and where are you going? But secondly, not only does God give introspection, he gives instructions. When God listens, when God sees us with our backs against the wall, he gives instructions. So we see the angel gives Hagar instructions. He tells her to return to Sarai, because by running away, this is Uh, by running away, she was running away from the household where God was. And even though Sarai was, you know, doing everything wrong as well, the, the household had all types of moral failure in it, God tells her to return. And now for us, you know, we're thinking, man, you know, Hagar, she treated you harshly. You know, God, why are you telling her to return? And really, I don't fully understand God's wisdom here, but I imagine that God was trying to get things back in harmony. I imagine, basically in shorthand, God was telling Hagar, hey, go back and get in harmony with the family, and hopefully God at the same time is dealing with Abram and Sarai. He was basically telling her to play her role in the family. She was to be a part of of the family as a concubine, not the wife, and as an employee, not the boss. And so maybe we can relate. Maybe, uh, like Abram and Sarai, we are expecting a promise from God. We are looking forward to what God is going to do. And we say, you know, you know what? I'm going to take things into my own hands. I'm going to try and help God out. And we start operating according to the flesh. Essentially, we start operating in ungodly ways to try and do and accomplish godly ends. And we end up messing up the things around us. Or maybe like Hagar, we're pouring toxicity into the situation around us. And in the midst of it, God is calling us to get in harmony with himself 
to get in harmony with the church, and to get in harmony with the people around us. And we do this by submitting to his word. I think it's interesting that kind of uh, the, the epistles in the New Testament, there's, there's often this little section at the end where God, uh, through the author of the letter, just starts addressing every kind of category of people in households. It says, husbands, do this. Wives, do this. You know, servants, do this. Children, do this. God wants there to be harmony. And oftentimes, God might give us a hard word. We're upset and we have our backs against the wall and we're hurting and we're in pain. And oftentimes, you know, if, if one of our friends or someone comes and gives us instructions, we really don't want to hear it. It's like, hey, I'm hurting. Don't, don't tell me what to do. I'm hurting right now, right? <laughs> but when God comes and he tells us what to do, we don't get to do that because he's giving us life. He's giving us life-giving instructions. His word is sweet. It's more precious than the most valuable thing you own. It's sweeter than honey. It's a lamp to our feet. When God gives us instructions, no matter how hard it is, no matter how crazy it seems, God is leading us into life and into blessing. And next, not only does God give instruction, uh, introspection and instructions, God also gives illumination. When God listens, God then gives illumination. So the angel gave Hagar illumination. Illumination is basically a fancy way of saying giving light. God shed light on, her, on Hagar's position in God's plan. Hagar was precious to God. In the text, it tells us God tells her, you will have more descendants than you can number. God was basically saying, you are precious in my plan in rescuing the world. In your connection to the chosen family, you will be blessed. And her son's name would be a reminder that she was precious to God. Her son's name would, would be Ishmael, which means God is listening. Isn't that powerful? Whenever she looks at her son or whenever she calls her son's name, she would be reminded that her God listens. And so could it be that during this time, maybe for whatever reason, we're running away from God and we're in distress and God is reminding you of how precious you are to him? God is reminding you of your position in his plan his, his intentions to bless you and to bless others through you? And could it be that even though it's hard to hear him, he wants to remind you that he is always listening to you? Whenever you cry out in pain to him, whenever you pray to him, he is listening. But God also gives more illumination to Hagar. Now this passage, it has a lot of weird things in this passage, actually. The more I preach this passage, the more I'm like, this is kind of a tough passage. But he, you know, tells her, you know what, you're blessed and you will have many descendants. And then he starts calling her son a donkey. Did y'all catch that? He says, your son will be a wild donkey of a man. It's like, what's going on, God? <laughs> that was a big switch up. And he says, his hand will be against all his relatives. Uh, and he shall dwell over and against all his kinsmen. What's happening here? I think God is kind of giving a warning and kind of, you know, maybe an implicit prophecy. Basically, he's saying, the same thing, Hagar, that you did, your son will do to his own relatives. I think what's going on here is that God is trying to shed light on her character flaws. He's saying the, 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 the apple will not fall far from the tree. Just like she was quarrelsome with her relatives, he would also be quarrelsome with his relatives. And we really see this happening in Genesis chapter 21, verse 9. So it's about 13 years later, uh, about that time period, Isaac has been born, the promised son has come, and Ishmael is, you know, a, a preteen or teenager at this point. 
And during the weaning party, we see that Ishmael is clowning Isaac. He's making fun of Isaac. He's talking against Isaac. And just like Hagar thought little of Sarai, Ishmael thought little of Isaac. And eventually, uh, uh, Sarai and Abram send Hagar away, and they kind of start their own family, and God provides for them. But we see that Hagar's posture repeats itself in her son. And could it be that during this time in your life that God is revealing your character flaws? Maybe God is trying to show you how your own character flaws are affecting your own quality of life and well-being and is also affecting the people around you. Parents, I know this is really scary, but could it be that God is trying to show us how our character flaws are manifesting themselves in our kids, that as our kids watch us, they're, they're kind of unconsciously adopting a certain way of being and moving? Could it be that if we're in positions of leadership, that our own sinful flaws or habits is bleeding into the culture of our environments and that it's shaping the ways that we relate to people around us and the ways that people relate to each other? I think there's this myth that sin is, is, is individual and that it doesn't really affect people around me. And, you know, there's this common saying in culture that as long as it doesn't hurt anybody else, I'm good. But really, you know, I want to say, if not every time, almost every time we sin, whether we know it or not, whether directly or indirectly, our sin hurts people other than ourselves. And God is trying to show us our sin so that we can repent that we can change, that we can move from walking down the path of death and destruction and of the flesh and walk the path of life and righteousness and glory. So not only does God give introspection, not only does he give instructions, not only does he give illumination, but God also gives inspiration when he listens. So lastly, we see the angel gives Hagar inspiration. Now, there are many times in the Bible when a person names a place after God. You know, they, they name a rock or, or, or a place or an altar after God. But here is the only time in the Bible where a person gives a name directly to God. Inspired Hagar calls God El-Rohi, which means the God who sees. Family, when you don't see him, he sees you. And when you don't hear him, he hears you. Again, remember what our friend Augustine of Hippo said. For your goodness is almighty, you take good care of each of us as if you had no others in your care, and you look after all as you look after each. And I think this is what Hagar realized about God in this moment. She realized the magnitude of God's love and his care. And then on, on top of that, after she received inspiration to name God, she is blown away. There's like kind of a, 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 maybe a second kind of repetition of who God is. She, she cannot believe what is happening. It's almost like her mind is blown. She says, have I really seen the one who sees me? She can't believe it. She couldn't believe that not only does God see her, but God gave her the privilege of seeing him. Family, in this time in your life, God not only wants you to know he sees you, but God wants you to see him in deeper and more clear and majestic ways. Now, you may be thinking, you know what? God will never appear to me in this way. Where is he when I cry out to him? I'm done waiting on God. I think I messed up too badly. Or maybe you are not even sure if God exists, if he's even there. Maybe in the midst of your pain, you, you've decided instead of praying to God, I'm going to just, you know, 
throw things out into the universe and see what happens. But little do you know that if you are in Christ, God has appeared to you in a much better way than he appeared to Hagar. You see, God appeared to her through an angel, but God has appeared to you in Jesus by his spirit. If by the spirit you know Jesus, then you know God himself directly. Not only do you know God and not only is God with you, but God is in you. You see, we have it better than Hagar. She encountered God through a servant, but we encountered God through his only begotten son. You see, the angel came to Hagar with a word, but Jesus who has come to us is the word. He doesn't just bring a message, he himself is the message. And doesn't Hagar remind us of Jesus? God turned towards Hagar in her pain in the desert, but God turned away from Jesus' pain on the cross for our sake. God instructed Hagar to go back home to face blessings, but he instructed Jesus to go outside of the city to face cursing on the cross. You see, God told Hagar that she would live to see the birth of the nation that was in her womb, but God told Jesus that he would die to see the birth of the nation that was in his womb, the church. You see, when Jesus was in pain, the world stopped and God turned away so that when you are in pain, the world will stop and God will listen. Family, when your back is against the wall, God listens. And when he listens, he will then give introspection, instructions, illumination, and inspiration. And he does all of this through Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for this time where we can dive into your word and learn from you. God, I pray that when we are hurting, when we are suffering, when it feels like you're far away, that we will remember that you listen. We will remember that you see us. God, I pray that we would heed the moments where you seek to give us an awareness of where we are, of where we are coming from and where we are going. God, I pray we would be honest with ourselves and honest with you. That maybe some of us here this morning are running away from you, God. And God, I pray that we would really take inventory of where we're at. God, I pray that you would, uh, when you give instructions and when you give illumination, Lord, that we will respond, that we would actually feel, feel all the appropriate things. We would think appropriate thoughts and we would do appropriate things in response to the work in our lives. And God, lastly, I pray that you would inspire us, that like Hagar, our minds would be blown when we actually realize how beautiful it is that you have sent your son Jesus and that you invite us to believe in him. And that you not only want to be with us, but you want to be in us, working deeply in our hearts. And that this will overwhelm, overwhelm into a stream of abundant life that affects the people around us, affects our neighborhoods and our communities, affects our families. Lord, I pray that you would bring us into harmony with ourselves, into our families, with our churches, and Lord, with our communities. Lord, we love you. Amen. All right.